They say small business is the backbone of America. So what's the best way to support a small business? It is to learn more about them and share with your family and friends. We interview founders from across the world who have started and scaled their business through the ups and downs, long hours, and the rewards that come from sacrificing their time to build their business. Welcome to First to Arrive, Last to Leave, the journey of an entrepreneur. Okay, so we're really excited. This is a, a, such a lovely opportunity to sit down with someone we admire and we look up to, uh, Deb Pervin. <laughs> Deb, welcome. Thank you. Now I'm now I'm honored to be here. <laughs> Should be a little nervous. I am. I'm I am. I've had a soul, so don't screw up. Just say I have to live up to that, huh? Well, so we wanted you to come here for two. So you haven't officially gone through the 10K Goldman Sachs program. However, we I met you before, but we both you both taught our classes finance. So you've got that side, that connection. Yeah. The other thing is, this is not like you've got a great history of business. We love talking business. Yeah. Uh, you were a banker for was it twenty years? I was. Yes, just retired. So <laughs> that is we wanna like learn everything from you, not just a matter of financials, because that's what you teach, but really about your business journey. So can you just start off? You built huge businesses. Can you talk a little bit about like, okay, where did that bug come from? And then how did you even get into your first one to, I think it was like a, was it a hundred million? Actually? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm also curious what we're talking about too is um, Deb as a kid, like how did that shape you to oh, becoming an entrepreneur? No, like you, you as, oh, a kid. as a kid. <laughs> well, that actually is a perfect a segue because my dad was a real estate developer. Okay. And he, his dad came over from Italy, and he built all the stone bridges in Connecticut and New York Whoa. on the thoroughways and the parkways. He was a stone masonry person. And um, then my dad took over his business, and my dad hated that. And he was a developer, but he hated the fact that he had to walk in his father's footsteps. And my family, there's me and my young, my brother, who's 15 months younger than me, is an architect. And my other brother is an attorney and my sister did property management. So his four kids were all set up to take over his development company. And he closed it down during one of the recessions. And it was like so because he resented having to take it over from his father but he had four kids that were like, well, this will be fun. <laughs> and we all had different, you know, I was the finance person. And we had, a, and, I, and I have a degree in finance and in planning. So I was, I was teed up for real estate development. And then he closed the business. He went, he went to Italy for two years. I mean, it was like, whoa, dad went through his midlife crisis. And now what the hell are we all going to do? <laughs> so that's what, that was always my plan, real estate development. So I went to Harvard and Dartmouth and, and got a degree. And Amazing. Yeah, yeah, I got a degree. My degree from Harvard is in, what is it? Regional planning. And it was from the School of Government, the School of Business, and the School of Architecture. And so it really was a great education. Wow. I came in and yeah. I went to work for a bank in real estate development in Dallas in 1981, right after Debbie Does Dallas came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you laugh. Real estate developers are, you know, a, a certain ilk. And I wasn't invited to any of the parties because they were all in all men's clubs. There was not oh. a single other woman in real estate at the time. So 
Yeah, it was really, and I, I came from New England, you know, as a Yankee, which they thought was an insult, and I thought was perfectly fine. And uh, yeah. so that was a that was a bit of a sh- culture shock for me. Interesting. But, yes, but I went to work. I I married my boss, which you know oh. was when women went into work went went into business. That yeah. was going to be you know yeah. just horrible, and of course that's exactly what happened. So I went to work for one of my developers, and he developed single family homes and condos and townhouses. So he bought large parcels of land to do all of that, and I and he let me develop the corners for shopping centers. So I had a 60-something, 60 $65 million shopping center portfolio when all the savings and loans went under. And when all the savings and loans go under and all the banks go under, you know what they do? They call your loan, whether you're in good standing or not. Mm, wow. And so I uh, learned oh, a lot about, yeah. learned a, and there were no other banks to take out. You couldn't go to the bank next door because everybody was under. So learned a lot about negotiation. You know, lots of banks came into Dallas and came into town and, bought portfolios. And I was very fortunate that one of the banks bought the portfolios of all the banks that I was in. So all of my properties ended up being in the same portfolio. And that was good because most of them were cash flowing. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to work it out and I sold them all. And when I sold them all, I was like, hey, I actually made some money. Now I wish I hadn't sold them all. I mean, the, but that's the way it goes. We had moved, we had left. I have, my properties were in Texas and in California. A very important reason to be in California was my husband had season's tickets on the 50-yard line for the for the San Diego Chargers. <laughs> oh, in <Wow>. that stadium. <laughs> yes, it's beautiful. So we had to fly to California, you know, eight times a year. And so I built some projects out there so we could fly out on the, on the company. And that saved us because Texas went under before California went under. So I was able to sell my California properties to pay off my Texas properties. And when we were all done, we got on our sailboat and we left. We sold it. And I'm like, well, we have money in the bank. And I think we paid all the banks off. But, you know, if not, they'll never find us. And we left. (laughs) (laughs) And then you were going to retire. Well, you know, now we left thinking we'll we'll wait. We'll we'll sail until the money runs out. Yeah. And my husband is a much better investor when he's not looking at it every day. Yeah, words to the wise. Yes. Yes. So we we were gone for four and a half years. We sailed through Central and South America, and yeah, that's all. Did you have kids at this point? Mm -hmm. My son was one, (gasps) and my daughter was six. Wow. And I married my husband. Had three children, and so I raised them. And one of them was on the boat with us almost every year. A different one. So we had we had help with them helping with the kids or helping with the sailing. So. That was really great because they got to, you know, we're pretty tight given the fact that there's a 25-year difference in the ages of the kids. And uh, so, yeah. So my son is a marine biologist. That's probably a surprise. Um, Wow. (laughs) And that's That's amazing. That's the career everybody wants, but very few actually do. So it's amazing. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, so... We got off the boat. We were we were in um, we came back up Florida. So we went through Central and South America. We went through the canal and did Venezuela, and then came up the. We thought we'd go through the Caribbean, but we so enjoyed the culture in South America in Central America that we ended up being on the east coast of Central America as well. So and then we came up to Florida, and I found this resort. Or my friends call me. I don't call them friends anymore, but they called. <laughs> they said you have to do this. You have to buy this resort. It's in bankruptcy. 
and it, you know, you could do your skiing, you can do your real estate, you can do your business. It's just going to be the perfect world for you. And I thought, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> and so we bought a resort out of bankruptcy. And, and that was in Vermont? In Vermont yeah. and wow. developed it. Golf course, ski area. I built a sewer water plant, a municipality. And, uh, you know, timeshare and, and hotels. And it, it was crazy. It was really crazy fun until it wasn't fun. And, you know, I skied all over the world on the ski team. And one, the second year our ski area was open. It was Christmas week, which is like 30% of the income you get Christmas week. And I was standing on the top of the mountain and it's pouring rain. Mm. It is just pouring and the sky was crying, I was crying, and the mountain was crying because I spent $2 million making snow. And that was just running in rivers down uh, the mountain. Oh. And I was like, wow, this is really awful. I had 150 employees, pretty much everybody in town. And I was just standing there going, ah, this is not good. This is not good. What am I yeah. going to do? Mm. And I had borrowed $100 million from the bank mm -hmm. that I paid off before. Mm -hmm. And so... But I lost close to $10 million that, mm. that winter. And uh, so I learned. I stood on the top of the mountain. I said, "If God, if you can get me out of this, I promise I will teach others not to get in this bind. Which here is what I am. This is, yeah. this is wow. why I'm passionate about it. And so I ended up, there's, a, there's another ski area very close to us on the ridge that's owned by a publicly traded company. And they have these great ski packages and winter packages and summer packages. And people go there for the package thing. And we were a bunch of, and then the rest of the valley was a bunch of independent business owners. We had bed and breakfasts and we had, you know, really nice restaurants and hotels and all kinds of things to do. Farms, places you can pick pumpkins and pick, you know. But so before the internet, I okay, we got to put packages together. So all of the independent operators got together and I said look the only way we're going to get through this because obviously everybody in the valley went home yeah right? right so I wasn't the only one hurting everybody was in trouble we're going to create a marketing cooperative and we are just going to start competing head on head with those people now wouldn't you rather stay in a mom and pop bed and breakfast than a big industrial corporate hotel yeah yes and so we were very successful wow but what I found out was that you know, we had to talk about price points because we had bed and breakfast that were 200 bucks a night and some that were 40 bucks a night. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to have three price points and we're going to just have, y'all are just going to, we're going to have a central located calling place and reservations. And the next one on that list comes up. If you all get a, you know, two people and you get six people, it'll weigh, it's, it'll, it'll all work out in the end. You have to have faith in that. And they're like, what's a price point? Wow. So Bomba was born. So oh. not only was I going to have to run my company and get out of the $10 million hole, but now I ended up teaching 20 some odd business owners how to run a business. And so I was like, okay, this is not a good idea. I have lots of things I need to do. But so we, once a week, we got together every Wednesday morning and they had put on little business uh, index cards questions that came up during the week, business questions. And so I sorted through them every day and every week and put them together and said, okay, we're going to talk about this business question this week. 
And so after three years, I had my entire Bamba curriculum done. Wow. And after five years, every single one of us had sold our business for more than a million dollars net. Wow. wow. Yeah. And those are tiny, smaller, smaller. Wow. One of them was a ski rental place. Million bucks. Wow. Now, they were in a really good location. Yeah. So that probably is a little cheating because they had real estate that was really valuable. But the people who bought so, it are still running the ski rental. Yeah. And, you know, bikes for up the bike and kayaks for the water. And so, you know, but still you're like, really? That's amazing. Yeah. Well, especially when we were we were just talking about like what is what is success equal? Is it like in terms of dollars? Like you hear all these businesses that sell for twenty million, they're worth fifty million. But like, what about the businesses that that are you know they're making five hundred thousand dollars a year? They have a few employees, and and that equals success for them. So to see that all of those businesses were able to yeah lift each other up and do it together, it's incredible, and hit those same marks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was not my goal. But that's what happened. And then yeah. I was like, wow, this is, I did it. You know, I survived. Yeah. I sold my resort. I, they sold their places. And I was like, and, you know, here I am. So that was the genesis of Bamba, Business Owners MBA. Yeah. So what brought you back to Dallas and then mm. now a new banking career? My, my boat was in the Carolinas. We bought a boat in the Carolinas right close to the northern, what's that called? The banks at the very northern part of the. Outer Banks, Outer Banks. Uh, and boat was sitting there on anchor, and we. I took eighteen weeks months off. I was just like, I don't ever want to talk to anyone. The hospitality, <laughs> the hospitality industry is horrible. Yeah, and in Vermont, it's worse because people go to Vermont not to have to do anything, and so it just you work during the week, and then your guests arrive on the weekend, so it's twenty four seven. Yeah, and wow. I was like, okay. And then after about 12 months, literally, we did nothing. We watched Olympics. I rode my bike a lot. I taught my kids school. But it was, I, I was like, okay, I'm ready to go back to the world again. Yeah. <laughs> but I was 45 years old. And I was wow. like, I don't want to own another business. Yeah. <laughs> that was enough. Two of them, you know, one, the banks go under, the other one I go under. I, you know, I was like, no, no, now high risk business. You know, you should not buy, you should not buy capital intense businesses with debt. That's a really bad idea. Those you should use capital for. So, you know, they were very high risk. And so I just said, well, what I've learned is what every entrepreneur, what every business owner wants to be able to mm -hmm. do, to grow a business and then to sell it. So I said, I, I have, I can work with them and help yeah. others do what I've done. And so that was a very rewarding career in banking. I mean, I did that for 20 years with the last one where I actually got to run, start my own team and, and run the and run a, run a team here. So that was really fun. But so that's, and I had a lot of good business owners because people said, well, I want to hear what you have to say because you've done it. You've been there, you've done that. And I've made every mistake known to man. So you can miss out on those. And you know what? Entrepreneurs are amazing. They can come up with other mistakes. <laughs> yes. I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, like, wow, that's a really yeah. new one on me. And I thought I found them all. Yeah. But I always say it's amazing when you see how many entrepreneurs are successful in spite of themselves. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that's what I say on the business owners MBA. I just help business owners get out of their own way. Yeah. Yeah. So as a banker, I'd love to hear, you know, a couple of your like 
biggest mistakes you saw businesses make when they're working with you and coming to you? Just like like blaring that you saw over and over again. <laughs> yeah. And there are a couple of those. So even very large companies with C-suite, you know, CFO, CMO, CIO, CFO, you know, HR, all of those departments, they will come to me and say, we're going to do this and this and this and this. We're going to we're going to build a new million square foot warehouse. We're going to open our, a new shop in China and we're going to open sales in Europe. And I'm like, this year? <laughs> That's a good five-year plan. Yeah. And so it's just, it, it was always, no, you're not. I, you may get all of that done, but not, not now, yeah. not in one fell swoop, which one is the most important. And they'd go yeah. back to the drawing board and have to prioritize because the, the money's, you know, you can't do all of those things at once. I yeah. get it that those are all on your plate, but which one do you want to do first? Which is really what I learned at the ski resort because after it rained, I, you know, I had a hundred million dollars, but all of a sudden it seemed like not enough because yeah. now I was $10 million in the hole and I'd spent 30. And so what I really learned was I had to prioritize what was going to be the most important thing for me to get done. How am I going to get the most money out of the out of spending the least? And so you started looking at decisions in terms of value add, mm -hmm. you know, if I hire this person, how much is it going to cost? How am I adding value to what I'm doing? And so right. same thing with these guys. I'm going to do all these things, you know, and I want yeah. to borrow another $10 million. And this will go first and this will go second and we'll just use it all. And I'm like, no, you won't. Because if you use a little bit on each, you're not going to get anything accomplished. Oh, great point. So, so usually it's like pulling back the reins and going, no, you can't have all of that money for that. And that's the second thing is is probably over levering. So there's a really sweet spot to question you asked earlier about yeah. how to, you know, where is the best place or how is that sweet spot when you're financing your business? I'm a big proponent of debt. I believe that <laughs> I believe that in order to grow quickly you need to leverage. Yeah. But you need to understand what that means. And so my bigger companies and the small ones, they're, you know, hey, I can have money. Okay, well, can I have $2 million? And it's like, no, you have only a million and a half dollars in revenue. <laughs> I can't give you $2 million. Right. So so there's a, oh, if I'm going to do it, I might as well do it big. It's like, okay, no, let's do it reasonably. <laughs> let's, right. let's fit in this little box. Uh, and there's very clearly a box that businesses can fit into, use their money wisely, use it for investments for growing the business, not for operating losses, which is my problem at the ski area. I was just right. funding operating losses. Well, that's a lost, that, that's just money chasing bad money. Yeah. Interesting. And, okay. So would you say that if you were to leverage, you know, uh, an SBA loan or something like that, that would be better suited into a growth strategy versus paying off your debts or just paying your overhead to keep it going? Yes. 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 Now, is it, oh, we all find ourselves in that position sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's good to have a line of credit to be able to fund some of those mistakes, which is usually what happens. You're not, yeah. you're not going, hey, I'm going to make this investment, see if I can lose 200 grand. I <laughs> yeah. mean, that's, that's not yeah. normally the idea, but no. sometimes that's what happens. I mean, you know, I'd skied all yeah. over the world and I did know it rained. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's like, okay, Deb, how stupid was that? So, you know, we spent the summer building all kinds of things you could do when it rained in Vermont. 
which mm. was good for summer and winter. But it was like, duh. <laughs> yeah, but also to your point, to your defense, yes. it's not like it rains. I mean, the likelihood of it happening on Christmas is a one in what opportunity, you know. I, yeah. I get it. I yeah. get it. I, but, yeah. you know, it's when we sold, we ended up selling the resort in pieces. I wanted to sell it all together, and I spent two years trying to sell it all together. No one would buy the whole thing, so I ended up selling it in pieces. And my husband really wanted to keep the golf course. (laughs) (laughs) And that's because he didn't have anything to do with it. I ran the golf course. (laughs) And so I was like, no, 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 no. You have no idea how lucky we have been to make good money on that golf course. Because the season starts Mother's Day. And we opened it six years, and every one of those six years, it rained or snowed. Like five of the six years, it snowed in May on Mother's Day. Oh, gee. Okay, so you have mud season, then you have to get a golf course ready to be open and and be played. And then just when it's perfect in September and October, when the fall leaves are perfect, the ground starts freezing, and you can only get like four people out there. So it's just this precarious, precarious event. And so I said, no, 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 no. We had great years. We're going to sell it. We sold it for more than we asked. And um, the next year, it rained like every weekend. Uh, <laughs> I was like, whoosh, so dodge e- that bullet. So even with being strategic, you really, it's it's a crapshoot. You don't You're know. Mother Nature's mercy. Yeah. You are. Yeah. You are. And like that's part of your good years and your bad years. You're like, okay, how's the, what's the weather pattern going to be? I wouldn't even have thought to take that into consideration for a resort that you have to, yeah. like, it's a, you know, you're at the mercy of what the weather's doing. <laughs> well, yeah. and but you're in retail. Yeah. Okay. Retail actually and restaurants, they have they have patterns the same way. I mean, people yeah. shop when it's raining. So you're out there um, going, Oh, I want rain. Oh. And people don't eat they don't go out to eat when it's cold. So there are all kinds of patterns that do impact businesses other yeah. than a resort. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it, it was funny because one of the things I do with all of my clients is we look for metrics. Mm-hmm. Right. So here's your revenue. What are the metrics that drive the revenue? And I drove my entire staff nuts because <laughs> at the ski area and the golf course, you know, how many people, where did they come from? How did they hear us? You have to ask all the guests these questions so we can start collecting all this data and we can see you know, how to improve our revenues, right? It streams, how many more people can we get here? And we collected data, a lot of data. And when I, when it was all done, I could tell you exactly how much I would make by the temperature. Wow. That's it. That was the most important. That was, and if it snowed in Connecticut, if it snowed in Connecticut, it didn't matter if the entire place was green and we didn't have a stitch of snow, people came to ski. And if it was really nice weather in Connecticut, no one thought you could ski in Vermont. Interesting. They wouldn't even look to see uh-huh. what was uh-huh. happening. Well, and they're staying home and, you know, playing golf. Yeah. Why go skiing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Wow. So it, it, the, all the drivers that you think. And so when I'm, when I'm working with clients or when we're working with Bamba, we go through all the things that you think might be a driver and we end up cutting out a lot of them because you'll come down to just a handful of things which really drive the growth of your business. And do you think that's years of gathering that knowledge? Because for someone like in a manufacturing business, like the ebbs and flows of that, right? Supply chain and all those things that you're taking into consideration, you, how do you, you know, really scale for that? And how do you take that in most pieces into consideration to make your decisions? 
Well, so it's <laughs> it's really both things. It's okay. both the gut because you've been doing it and it's the numbers. So you start understanding what the factoring what the fact facts were that the reason that you had supply chain issues is why this month wasn't as mm -hmm. good. Yeah. And so you have to you, you have to keep track of that data so you can compare apples to apples. And though this is apples to oranges, you know, in your business, you know, the the shipment of candles from China didn't show up. Right. And so mm -hmm. your company gets all of a sudden this enormous order for, you know, 500 thousand units and right. you're like okay that's not normal yeah what happened? <laughs> i can't do that but it it had nothing to do with the systematic things that you were doing to grow your company you happen to be in the right place at the right time right and that happens a lot and so you have to make note of that because if you expect for me a golf course if i expect july 4th to be a three-day weekend and i'm making you know ten thousand dollars a day yeah. and and then i have you know a july right. 4th where there's zero yeah. you're like I have to go back and say, oh, well, this is really usually a $10,000 a day weekend. Let's factor in maybe one day isn't as good. So you start factoring that in. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not going to, every weekend isn't going to be sunny and perfect. So, you know, how many did we have last year and how many did we have the year before? And, and the longer, that's why I always tell my clients, you know, yes, this is what the numbers are telling you, but your gut feel, don't, don't ignore that. Yeah, because yeah. if you haven't had the luxury of understanding what your numbers are telling you, you really need to understand. You need to think about what your gut is telling you, yeah. because that's how you've made good decisions. You don't stay in business very long if you're not making good decisions. Yeah. And does that work sort of like risk assessment comes in? Because you because there are times when I'm like making a decision and I feel like I maybe have I keep saying this naive feeling of like, oh, I, you know, I don't know what it is to, to take that risk. We're just going to do it. But now as, as we continue to grow, I'm very conscious of risk and like where, how we want to be strategic. Like what would you suggest a business in that manner just continue to run, like run the gamut in what they're doing or really say, okay, no, we have to, is this going to be a risk for us long-term? Well, I think what happens is as you get bigger, you start getting better able at assessing the risk. Yeah. You know, okay. because you have more at stake. Yeah. You know, when, when it's just you and the three people starting the company, you know, you're all trying to figure it out. But now you've got five employees, 10 employees. Now you have other people's lives and livelihoods at, at stake. And yeah. so you get a little more conscientious about the responsibility. I mean, when I was on the top of the mountain, it wasn't, I'm going to debtor's prison. That did cross my mind. <laughs> but it was more like, I have 150 families yeah. that depend on me. And mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I can't walk to the grocery store and I have to remember everybody's names. And it's horrible. I had to send my husband because I'm not good at names. And, you know, but you're employing yeah. them and their son and their uh, sister-in-law, you know, and you're like, oh, my God, I get it. I can't remember all who's who and who's attached and how yeah. that all works. And uh, obviously, again, a small community. But that's what you're building in your business. You're building a small community. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and you do feel that there's more risk. Now, there is a point where it's sustainable, you know, and, and I just was, I was on the phone with a, another client literally yesterday who was like, well, I, they hit a $20 million number. And so obviously we're talking about looking at, you know, are we going to be in a recession? And I'm saying, okay, if you, what are you going to do next year? Cause we're looking at budgeting. And he was like, I'd be really happy if we stayed at $20 million. Yeah. He said, that's a really good number. And he goes, all the value people and they're looking at us 
you know, potentially considering selling. And he said, everybody says, you know, it has to be 20. You have to be at 20 to get a higher multiple. And he's like, why is that? And it's like, because that's a sustainable business. Same thing, $10 million. Uh, is a, it's not as sustainable, but your multiples go up as the businesses get larger because now you have, you have more clients. You have more companies that have worked with you for a while. So yes, you know, you may buy a few more, you, you may sell a few more particle articles yes. this year, and then you may sell more next year. You know, it, it, it may do this and you're bringing on new clients, but it's sustainable. There's enough business there that you're not going to disappear. You may go down five or 10%, but you're not going to go from $20 million to nothing. Yeah. And so there are those, 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 those jumps. It goes 10, 20, 50, 100. And, and it, it's just strange how that works, mm-hmm. but that's, I don't even remember the question. I'm well, no, but that 100% yeah. <laughs> makes sense, though, because of the getting ready oh, to sell assessment. the multiples. Yes. So I want to circle back because you mentioned recession. I think we can all – I feel like I have been calling Chicken Little for, like, 10 years now. Like, we can't keep going up. We can't – but, okay. So I feel like we could safely say a recession is probably loom- – I know nobody's willing to say we're in it yet, but – what advice, so you were a banker in 2008, what advice would you have for businesses? Just, is it go cash heavy? Is there anything else that they can do to really prepare for a rocky year yes. or two? Yes. So exactly what I was talking about with this client. I want everybody to prepare a budget for the year. Okay. So next year's budget is going to be this. Mm-hmm. And it should be prepared based on what you think if everything stayed the same. Okay, so I had a five-year, 5%, 10% growth. I'm going to expect that. Okay, and then you're going to do a, what if I have a 20% drop? Okay. Okay, and how am I going to handle that? Who am I going to lay off? What am I going to, how am I going to do that? And what are the triggers? So you have to have that conversation and that thought process with your management team every quarter because it'll sneak up on you and all of a sudden it, you're, like you said, um, all of a sudden there's, you know, it's two quarters and it's, well, you know, the definition of recession. Well, we've decided it's not two negative quarters. Well, thank you very much, Mr. <laughs> President, but that's what it's been for a really long time. Yeah. So maybe we should admit it or at least ourselves recognize that this yeah. is going down. And, and so I just like to have people prepared. I think it's very helpful if you can get a line of credit to have a line of credit um, because, you don't have to use it, but right. you may want to use it because the upside to a recession is others are going to not make it and you have huge opportunities. I was going to ask so, about that. Should yeah. you get ready for acquisitions? Absolutely. Too? So that's, so you Amazing. have your, yeah. you have your, this is what I think I'm going to do. This is what happens if my industry just gets clobbered. And this is what my growth opportunity is to use a Goldman Sachs word. Yes. Um, yeah. It's, it's a, uh, recessions are great opportunities. You can find that salesperson who's been selling for your for your competitor. Mm-hmm. You can find you could pick up some of those competitors' businesses if you're in a position to be able to do that. That includes cash. Mm-hmm. It includes knowledge of who that would be. Yeah. Okay. So you really have to spend some time, like knowing who your competitors are, knowing what you who those people are that you would really wish you could hire. 
um, you know, maybe not just the salesperson. Maybe there's a great operations person who can run a manufacturing plant. Yeah. You know, and you're like, hey, that would be great. So when you're prepared to take advantage of it and looking for it, but you have to have some, you know, have to have yeah. some debt in place or some the ability to borrow. You have to have some cash and then you have to really be intentional. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and every bank I ever work for. And I work for five banks in the last 20 years, so I'm not a very stable person. <laughs> but we liked when there were recessions because what happens is when the market is very hot, everybody's competing for that really great business. And so banks get stupid and they cut the rates. They start giving away stuff. And the banks are the banks I work for. It's certainly bank people that banked with me. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, no. <laughs> I'm worth it. You need to pay this money because you're getting this advice on the side. And we're not going to, you know, I don't care that Chase is giving it to you at prime or prime minus two. I'm still going to be prime plus one because that's what the risk factors are. And you're going to get my advice. So that's going to be helpful. So we would not be as competitive when other banks were coming into the market and trying to steal business. Whereas when things slow down, they're like, oh, no, I wasn't planning on this. And all of a sudden, all their real estate is underwater like it is right now. Yeah. And and they're in trouble. Yeah. Whereas we're, we're sitting on cash going, hey, let's pick off some of those clients that we'd really like to have who would like to have a bank who doesn't do this, change their minds, go up and down and, and, and try to, you know, oh, we're going to grow real fast. They grow real fast by cutting rates. And then they get stuck with a portfolio that isn't performing. Yeah. It happens in every industry. I just think banks happen to be not as intelligent. Not it's it's just that we're we're regulated. We have boards. We don't have a lot of options. We bankers don't have a lot of options. We can't. I mean, and we've tried. We've gone out and you know, hey, I used to be a bank, but now I have an investment arm. Now mm-hmm. I have an equity arm. Now mm-hmm. I have a trust department because it's really hard to diversify where our revenue streams are. Whereas a private entity can decide, you know, hey, I'm going to make chemicals for washing your hands. If I'm a chemical company, that was used to be selling to the oil and gas industry. Well, I sell chemicals. I can sell different chemicals. So banks don't really have those kind of options that entrepreneurs can pivot. I hated that word. I hate that word, too. (laughs) I know. She wanted to ask something about COVID. I'm like, can we just stop talking about COVID? (laughs) Can we take that question off? I know. know. Well, because it just was so... During our program, yeah. it was so part of what yeah. what we talked about. Because, you had to figure out a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing was I remember we did the risk assessment and we were right in the thick of it. And every I was like, okay, I've got it all down and this is going to be great. I'm going to learn a lot from this. And then it became employment. I was like, how would you ever assess that a risk being that no one wanted to go to work? Yeah. I, like, I can't fathom that. Like, what are you doing all day? Like, yeah. I still have this issue right now where I'm like, You've got you got to be kidding me. What are you doing? Like which and now they don't even have the stipend coming in. Yeah. So I don't really don't I really don't understand what's happening. Yeah. I I <laughs> an economist uh, one of my one of my um one of my coaches was at a big event and she read to me some of the stuff that her economist said. 3.8 trillion dollars went into the economy to pay people not to work. 3.8 trillion. I mean, think about that. Now, that's 
it, it, it wasn't paid not to work because some of that was PPP. Some of it was, right. but, but it was, remember what I said about operating losses? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you borrow money to make investments to grow, not to cover operating losses. Yep. Well, that is 100% operating losses. Mm. That's all it is. And we have to cover it. I mean, you know, now the other thing that the economist said is that our dollar is really strong and we're going to be able to cover it by, you know, China is not is going Uh, down because of the imports and things. So I hope he's right. But anyways, the thing that when we're talking about COVID, though, (laughs) when I teach when I teach about financials, I teach um you know, I talk about the income statement and you have your variable expenses and your fixed expenses and your variable go up and down with sales and your fixed are what you have to cover regardless of your sales amount. And so I I laugh because I go, Hey, now everybody gets it. Those variable expense, those fixed ones, those are the ones you had to pay during COVID. Yeah. (laughs) And the variable ones, those are all the people you had to fire to get, to be able to survive. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. I can make this so clear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a time that we all had to deal with it. I know it's crazy to me too, that it's still, it, we're still seeing the effects of it. Like I know, you know, retail shops are planning on massive um, supply chain issues for Christmas. Like they know that stuff is not going to get to where it's going to get to where it's supposed to. Well, interestingly enough, in with some of the customers that we're working with, they they had so many things that were late last year that their DCs are full. So they literally can't place another order until they sell through what they've got uh, in yeah. their distribution centers. And another risk you wouldn't have yes. even thought yeah. about because when they're, when you're working with businesses that are consistent in their sales across the board you that's something you wouldn't expect yeah but i know courtney you have employees that are remote Mm -hmm. were they remote before covid yeah they and that's because they weren't in a position that required them to really be present okay we talk a lot on the phone like our design team and our coo are not present our production team obviously has to be present and we leveraged many um platforms to get people in the building yeah i st- still blows my mind like we you know what we're doing is not complicated it's essentially baking a cake so when someone asks me to you know they, they want 20 dollars an hour to put a wick in a jar i can't <laughs> wrap my head around that because a lot of the times like you know you take you take a pay cut so that you can have people in the building yeah, or yeah. you don't pay yourself at all so that you could have yep. you can give the business runway or to to maybe buy equipment that you didn't have access to before. So when some when people say that it's just like, well what what else are you doing? Yeah. You know? And we've had people leave who are like, "Hey, you know, I I only want to work 15 hours a week and I'm going to go drive Uber." And I'm like, "Great. Good luck going on vacation, enjoying yeah. life." I mean, I'm sure that's a lucrative business at some capacity for someone, but it can't be for everybody. Yeah. Well, like, and you can't have a family, you can't I mean, yeah. Erin, yeah. do you have people that work remotely and we do so what I try to do is like for my editors like Lindsay back there Uh so I try to do hybrid so they have they have to come in to do this but a lot of our business too is like recording helping people I I hate to use zoom because we try to use other but the the remote calls but I'll have an engineer on hand so they can help you set the microphone Mm -hmm. up and stuff like that so we can do remote so I try to do the hours combo, yeah. like stuff like this. You have to be here, unfortunately. Uh, but then there's a lot of stuff we can do. Editing, yeah. management of clients, all of that can be done remotely. So I try to do that remotely. And, 
And were you doing that before COVID? Yes. Yes. Yeah. See, so that's what I'm finding. I'm yeah. just finding that clients who are business owners who who were okay with remote work mm-hmm. were just perfectly fine yeah. right through this. Um, and then on the other side, the workers are now like, well, I liked that. Mm-hmm. And one of one of the companies that I worked with, they were able to tell if people were working more than one job from home. And that was shocking. A lot of people were two-timing jobs. That's crazy and to I'm me. Not, but I'm then, not talking about like Uber jobs. I'm talking about like Two IT. full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it, without, apparently not full time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say oh there. I mean, there's some sort of hustle to that. You got to give them props because yes. there are so many people who are like, "Yeah, I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm gonna collect my check." Whereas this guy's like, "Hey, you know what? All yeah. that stuff that's left for me, I'm going to get. I'm going to double dip. I'm going to get it." Well, except I mean, for you're saying that yeah. as a business owner, like you're thinking they're going to be working eight right. hours a week. They're working eight hours a week, but they're only giving you four hours and the other person four and hours. And I was like talking, I was, we had this, <laughs> we recorded this right before you said this. I was working as a contractor. So my, my corporate life was I, IVRs, mm-hmm. IVR design. So I was working, it was, I won't even say the company, very large company. Uh-huh. They were like, okay, here's your project. You've got 80 hours. Uh-huh. Like. Yeah. And I said, oh, yeah, that'll take me 20. Like, yep. no worries. I got that in 20. They're like, you You're have 80 hours. hours. Yes. We've billed the client 80 hours. I'm like, okay. So a lot of these, a lot of these IT jobs it is not 40 hours. I mean, you're mm-hmm. doing it and it's a, you know, like, and a lot of them know you're not billing 40 hours, like, but you're getting your job done. You're doing your thing and they're okay with it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And and the number of people who have not come back, back to the workforce is frightening. Yeah. But for us, that's made us make a decision that going automated is yeah. is the better choice. Yeah. And to bring in people who actually want to be there and pay them a higher rate and give them more opportunity. Yeah. And those people are they're just going to fall further behind. The ones that don't want to come back to work, well, then that's where you're going to stay. Yeah. And you're going to, you know, you're, you're seeing grocery stores do it by taking the check stands out. You're seeing yeah. restaurants do it by having those automated things. Like you don't want to show up. AI is going to show up. Yeah. Something is going to replace you. And they, I don't know if they're just assuming someone's going to keep writing them a check, but we're not. We, yeah. we shouldn't be on the hook for that. What do they do all day? That's what <laughs> I don't know. I, I, we were just, we were talking about this too. Like, Someone said to me, like, don't you think you have too much going on? And I was like, well, no, not really, because my joy comes from having all of these things going on. Yeah. So when someone's like, oh, I don't know what I'd be doing all day. I'm like, yeah, what do what are they doing know. all day? It's like a sad state of affairs because my social life is business. My family life yes. is business. Like everything like revolves around. Like I'd rather talk business with somebody yep. than about like what how you hate your husband like yeah. or what show I mean? yeah what, yeah, what housewife show you're watching yeah. we, we talked about this when we first sat down yeah. and we're like could this be something I, I told you i was like i don't have a lot in common with people who don't have a business and i have a very good friend who owns a packaging company and she's like hey do you think we could go to lunch as like friends and i was like well yeah i'm like well, i thought we were friends but that's okay <laughs> um and she so we go we sit at coffee and we just kind of stare at each other and um I was like, uh, any TV shows? She's like, oh, no. And uh, movies? Oh, nope, really haven't had time for that. And she goes, do you want to see this box I'm working on? Yes. And it just lights me up because she's lit up. Yeah. She's proud of her work and she's proud of the effort. And then you know what? It offers her time freedom. And that's why we're entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I love working 80 hours a week. 
some of the time. Yeah. Yes. But it's most, mostly hearing the success of other people. I didn't realize how much I needed that until I stepped out of being an esthetician where I was talking to six people a day to all of a sudden it's silent in my office and, and it's like, how do you connect with people? Who am I going to connect with? It's like entrepreneurs. Yeah. Go out there and start networking. But yeah. don't you think, this is my opinion, <laughs> don't you think that that's what guys have always done? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they always, yeah. they just talk about business. Yeah. And, yeah. And my husband had come back from one of the kids' soccer games or football games and I go, you know, how did, how did Mac play? I don't know. <laughs> did they win? I think so. <laughs> you know, because he's in yeah. a conversation. I'm like, was his, was, you know, Tommy's wife there? I don't remember. That's just a guy that guys. I know. Like... I know. But it's because <laughs> yeah. they're, they, that's yeah. their, you know, they're, they're yeah. good at compartmentalizing and that's what they talk about. Whereas women, we have such a much wider so range true. of things. Mm-hmm. And so just adding business to it. You know, that that's where I am, too. I mean, yeah. I was like, I don't want to talk about kids yeah. until I had kids. And I was like, holy shit, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> and right. And then there's a whole nother yeah. topic to run down. You know, like you're a mom and an entrepreneur. And now you're trying to, like, balance the Juggle. idea of like, yeah. oh, I can't be at snack time because, like, I have this mm. meeting. And so your kid's crying and then you're crying down the hall. And you're going to pull myself together because I actually have to do a presentation. It's yeah. really important. Well, that's yeah. what I called Aaron yesterday. <laughs> I was like, when when I had my kid, I was running my yeah. development company. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just took her with me. Yep. But they didn't have things to par- carry your kids in. So I put her in a wicker basket <laughs> and I had a nice little thing. And I had I had pillows and things in there. And I was at the Love Field Airport and I was running across the, you know, the driveway. <laughs> and she rolled out. And the, the wicker basket broke. This thing broke. And you know how when your kids are really... You, they really get hurt. There's like this moment of silence where you're like, "Are they gonna cry? Are they gonna? Are they? Is she alive?" <laughs> and and so she's like rolled out, and she's still in blankets all over. And I think people thought it was like a doll until she let out a blood curdling scream. <laughs> And I was like, and I wonder how come I didn't invent that stupid thing you carry yeah. kids in. And I was like, I missed my opportunity to be like, you, you had know, a great story. baby store, this baby store. But I was, you know, I was yeah. doing my real estate development. So I, you know, I wasn't. And, but I used to drag her around yeah. and I used to tell people I'd take her to the bank. We could be in a nice conference room and. This is a terrible story. We were in this really nice conference room. It was a really young guy. You know, he's like 25. They probably said, that's a woman. You know, you the the junior person take the call. Yeah. And and so I get in there. and she, Usually she was pretty quiet, but she was very fussy. And so I picked her up and I pat her on the back. And she just threw up everywhere. Uh. And he's like, this is brand new carpeting. Because <laughs> that's what, there's where the man's brain is. Just like, uh. he's out running around. And I'm like... I'm just going to go home. <laughs> I don't think she feels well. I don't think you're going to give me a loan. <laughs> I think we could just, we just, just cut this out. Over. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about your car. But. And I'm like, hey, get used to it, guys. This is what it's going to be. And I was like, I was wrong. It was not that. People yeah. were constantly surprised that I was dragging my kid around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's me and her. And, you yep. know, the hubby's working. So here we are. We, They're like, there's daycare. So and I'm like, well, I don't want to write daycare. Right. Yeah. Oh. She can't come to me with me to this meeting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But now it's totally different because of yeah. COVID. You know, our babies were running around in the background. Exactly. People yeah. are crying. Dogs are barking. And everyone all of a sudden became very gracious Yeah, because they had to be. Yeah. Right? Their dads got the kid in the background <laughs> making faces, which I think was 
that probably was the absolute Best. joy oh, yes. of, of working. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I, I was in labor, active yeah. <gasps> labor, sending emails. Oh, I thought you meant like, like oh, oh no, oh. like, <laughs> no, but like when Adler, when I, before I had Adler, I, you know, I was doing emails and she, same thing, went everywhere with me. We had a tiny little shop yeah. in San Diego and I would reel, reel her in. She'd take a nap for the few hours that yeah. I, I covered that shift because the employee couldn't make it or what have you. Yep. And like, I don't, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Like she, she's yeah. conscious of that. She's told us numerous times, like, well, I'm the boss. And it's like, well, not really, but then <laughs> really, uh, and you know, she comes into the office and she sits at the table with daddy and she's typing and she goes, you know, one day I'm going to work with you and daddy. And I, awesome. Yeah. But then that makes you, makes me, brings me to this question about legacy and, you know, about, um, an exit strategy. Some Families, they want that to be passed on to their children and like your grandfather yeah. did. Yeah. And uh, your dad was like, a no, thank you. <laughs> and uh, we that was one of the things part of it. I was like, do we leave this to Adler? And I'm like, is this a burden for her? Right. Does or she does, want it? Right. Or does she want to do something else? And it's interesting that all four of you were yeah, to do that. Well, yeah, you're like, here we go. It's like succession, all your pieces. <laughs> and, and then your dad was like, no, thank you. This isn't going to be yeah. how we exit. Do you feel like that? You wanted to leave those things for your children or was your exit strategy different? So what we did, I mean, you know, funds that we made from different activities went into trusts. So they have a safety net. Yeah. But I've told them, you know, that they can't, they have to work. They have to earn a living. They have to be able to take care of themselves. And there is a safety net, which is really the what the legacy is yeah 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 all right do you want to do a couple can you hear my phone i was like i was wondering am i what is that is that my thing is my water (laughs) no you're good but you want to do like two rapid fire clips yeah we're over time yeah sure okay so Um, rapid fire all right deb um what's the best advice you've ever been given i've ever been given Mm -hmm. speak up hmm which is sort of a surprise since the both of you know me. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would not have expected that. But I, yeah. I was sort of quiet. Yeah. I mean, I was always in a situation. I was skiing. I was skiing with kids that I was, you know, on the ski team when I was 13. Wow. And most people were 16 and 17 and 18 and mm-hmm. 19. And so I was just very quiet. And I was, you know, that 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 pain in the ass because yeah. I was much younger and I was beating them. So I wasn't very popular. <laughs> and so I, I just... You know, and you tended to know the answer, but not say anything. Yeah. I mean, I did all, all the way through college, all the way through graduate school. And mm-hmm. um, it wasn't until I got into business where I started to realize that I actually knew things that I should uh, should speak out and speak up. And I had a really great mentor woman at my first bank who just said, you know, you can sit there, but if you're and, and I know you're smart, but if you're not voicing your opinion and you're not putting it, putting your ideas out there, then they're not going to be considered and you're not going to get promoted. You're not going to get the things that you want. So you have to speak up, speak up. I love Love it. it. So I know you recently retired from the bank and that you're on an adventure from time to time. What's the morning routine when you're on the boat? Oh, the boat morning routine is (laughs) is much different than the Dallas morning routine. So the, the, the boat morning routine is, um, I have to get up. If we're at anchor, which is my favorite place to be, okay. we're at anchor. I have to get up. 
I have to put on enough clothes to get into the dinghy with my dog <laughs> and take him to pee. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> so I have a kayak. So the dinghy you have to turn on the engine oh and it makes God. a lot of noise. So I have so I have to get him in his life jacket because he doesn't like being in the kayak. He doesn't sit still. He likes the <laughs> he likes the dinghy better. It's a little more room. So I have to put his life jacket on and then I paddle out. But I love that. First thing in the morning, first light, it's quiet. There's usually not a whole lot of waves. It's just so peaceful. So I love that time. And, you know, he's trying. Yeah. <laughs> he's wiggling and oh. waiting. And, and then, you know, we get to the beach and he's happy and I'm happy. And then we just, I usually just paddle around for a little bit before getting back to the boat. And my husband's make coffee. Yeah. The best smell. Yes. The <laughs> best smell in the morning. And, 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 and he spikes it usually. <laughs> Nice. He's like, how's it gonna? How's the day gonna roll? Yeah, Depends exactly. on what's being put in said coffee. <laughs> most most of the time, he I, I'll tell him like I, I usually have a ten o'clock, a twelve o'clock, a two o'clock, and a four o'clock. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That's my work time. So if it's not a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, sometimes it gets spiked. So you're not technically yeah. retired. You're no, still, I'm yeah. self-employed. I'm yes. back to self-employed. Yeah. One of my fa- my favorite yeah. things is that we've, we work with Deb from time to time, and she was on a call, and my COO and Troy and I were, she's in a galley. She's not. She's not in a galley. We were, there was a conversation happening amongst us, and I'm finally like, okay, Deb, are you in the galley? She's like, yes, I am. I'm on the boat. <laughs> That's, yeah, awesome. that's the way to do it, though. Different scenery behind yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, before we go, I want to make sure everybody knows about Bomba. Where can they go? So it's a program, a year-long program. You meet monthly, correct? Yes. To go through your business. Where can they find out more? Because I know January 1st is going to be starting a yeah. new one. So a new one, January. So we have lots of different ways to to join. Mm-hmm. The best way to find information is on my website, which is business owners. MBA, but the program, it's, it's, it's literally 15 minutes a day and you can double the size of your business because I have videos that you can watch. I have exercises. I have workbooks. I have one-on-ones. We have open office. We have office hours. And then we have a two hour meeting every month really to talk about that discipline. And it's not me teaching. Yeah. It's the, the peer group saying, Hey, you know, if we're talking about employees, these are the problems I've had onboarding. These are the problems I've had being ghosted. These are the problems I'm... And and so we really... It's a roundtable discussion around the discipline. And that's why it gets so deep. Yeah. Because if you do like a Vistage or... I mean, I love Vistage. But, you know, you don't get as deep into a topic. Or you don't necessarily know what the topic is. But you've been working on that topic for the month. Yeah. And so you have a lot of ideas. And you're working on something that all of a sudden you can see, hey... You know, that employee really isn't as engaged as I thought they were. And you start paying attention to some of the things. So it's it's just it's been very exciting to watch the businesses that go through it. I mean, it, again, it's you asked about legacy and I think of that as my legacy. Mm. I just really I want businesses to be successful mm-hmm. and um, your most businesses, they hit a wall. They, they grow to a certain point and then they don't know what they don't know and they don't know how to get out of their own way. And that's where that's where most of my businesses that go through Bomba are. They're like they're really good. They've got a good product. They've got a good business plan. They've got the start of a really good team. But the founder has been making the decisions. 
And now it's how do I find a COO I trust? How do I how do I do what I want? I, I always tell my business owners, what do you want to do? Yeah. If yeah. you want to be the salesperson, then find a, you know, find an integrator, find somebody yeah. to do, uh, to do the operations, find someone to manage the people, do what you love to do because you're good at that. Yeah. And then find other people. And, and that's hard because you have to let go of certain <laughs> things. So that's really hard for, you know, business owners. Yeah. And yeah. so that's, but you have a group of, you know, 10 or 12 going, it's so hard Yeah, <laughs> that, you, you know, and, and, and I didn't fire that person. And then you show up the next month and they didn't fire that person. And you're like, okay, you can't come to the meeting yeah. if you haven't fired that person. Oh yeah. <laughs> you're being an asshole at this yeah. point. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's not, it's not Deb's opinion. I learned something every meeting because yeah. someone's done something that I hadn't heard of. So it's, it's really fun. I have, I, I don't know. I've, I think I've lost count of the number of people who have hit the, Inc. 5,000 list in the top 500. Mm, that's incredible. That's awesome. yeah. that's it's really amazing. To the program. So it's really fun. So I did it one time a year. I did one a year while I was in banking, but now I want to do it. I want to have four or five groups during the year. All right. Oh well, we'll have that on our show notes too, so people can find you. you. And I'll get yeah. the S added to that. <laughs> we, had, we had a few email issues, so I couldn't put the S on. But uh, Deb, thank you so much for yeah, coming you. and talking. It was awesome. Well, it was fun. 